As England trained in Leafy Teddington this weekend, would Eddie Jones have been better off with a few more Premiership games instead? Exeter's Sam Simmons and Marcus Smith of Quinns both put in man-of-the-match performances but somehow continue to be ignored. Is it more difficult to play your way out of the England squad than it is to actually force your way in? Also, it now looks like a home Lions tour is the only option left on the table. When will we get a final decision on the South Africa series? And what will the fixture list look like? I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me today are Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times and Stuart Barnes of the Times and Sunday Times. This is the first of two Ruck podcasts this week. On Thursday, Jonesy will be discussing the state of the women's game with Harlequins and England legend Rachel Burford. Before that, though, Let's get on with today's show because there's lots to pack in. Jonesy, I'm going to start with you because um, I've, I've sort of introduced all this premiership chat and the England squad, but actually the, the big news, and I think we do have to start with the, with the big news, was Saracens being stunned in the championship opener. They were beaten, of course, by the Cornish Pirates 25-17 in their championship debut. Quite an unbelievable performance for a team that probably hasn't played any rugby for, well, the best part of a... Um, you were down there, you were our man from the... Uh, from the Ruck podcast. Uh, what can you tell us about the uh, the wonderful occasion? Well, first of all, you know, it was one of those ones, probably most of, of every game I've been to, Lawrence, without fans, it was the one where you said wished the most that there were fans there. Mm. I mean, actually, what they did was they had, uh, they employed stewards there and there seemed to be about 430 stewards to to uh, to look after 12 uh, fans and six hacks. So they, they gave it a good stewarding. But... Um, it's it's even worse than, than than you said, Lawrence. I mean, they had one game. A lot of their players were, had been furloughed. They had very very little um, uh, practice, very little training. All they had was just sheer guts and a lot of organisation from coach Alan Alan Paver. And I, I think what they had was a typical sort of Cornish style pack. I mean, we've all been down there and had a heads kicked in in the in the old days down there. They were just gritty experienced, more experienced than Saracens. They kept on going. And then when they realised, hey, hang on, lads, we can win this, they were just unstoppable. It was absolutely brilliant. It gave the lie to the idea that the championship is a a pale shadow, because clearly it isn't. And Saracens in the second half, Lawrence, were never in the game. It was just sensational. They had a monster pack. Um, which actually dominated Saracens. I didn't watch the game, but I've caught up on the various reports. And as you say, I think, yeah, it was almost like a throwback. They took six against the head at scrum time and, well, they uh, and, they, and, they, and they dominated them at, at the line-out time. So, I mean, if nothing else, you know, the championship has, has taken an absolute battering over the last 12 months, you know, in every way, really. Um, it's, it's almost sort of drifted away from our, from our very eyes. And, and obviously it's had its, um, you know, revenue streams cut by the RFU, but, I mean, for all those who um, who've been championing the championship, literally, um, I mean, it, it was a fantastic achievement by Cornish Pirates. It, it was, and, and you know, the thing is, there, there are twelve places at the moment in the Premiership where you can go and watch professional rugby. Now, in the Championship, that could add another twelve because we we keep on forgetting how passionate they are about rugby in Cornwall. Now that they've got a the court stadium for Cornwall is going to be a reality very very shortly. It's all sorted. 
And, and, and wherever you went down there, where beaches, pubs, oh, sorry, not that we went into any pubs, beaches, the, 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 the pavements, the fields, everyone was talking about rugby. Everyone knew every detail of this Cornish Pirates team. And it is a terrible waste not to have a team there. So why not have a team there and, and get 11 other teams by boosting up the premiership, the championship? Suddenly you've got 24 clubs that people can go along and watch. But Cornwall is a must to be in the pro game. Well, listen, here, here. Barnsley, I mean, clearly uh, Saracens have got a lot of cavalry to call upon. There was a number of players that didn't play. And uh, maybe uh, maybe this opening game is a, is a bit of a bolt, a sharp shock to, to, to sort of suggest that, that life in the championship for Saracens won't be, won't be plain sailing. Because presumably, not just Cornish Pirates, but every single time they take the field, Saracens, it'll be a cup final for, for their opponents. Hard, isn't it? There's a bullseye on their chest every time they play. But you think about it, when they were demoted, they were very, they were column inches saying, well, they're bound to win the league and come back up. Mm. And, and I think all of us assumed that even without four or five England players, Saracens would go anywhere they wanted in England and just win at their will. And it might be that this first defeat for them is actually quite good because it might be a real reality check for Saracens. But, you know, the devil in me would love to see them not win the league this year and see exactly what happens in terms of teams coming up next season. Going back to your point, Stephen, I think there there, there is a, an argument for a, for an increased league. I mean, if, if you look at the Premiership, ideally, you'd probably, if you could start again with a blank sheet of paper, you might only have 10 teams in the Premiership so that you can actually fit the fixture list in, in you know, home and away, nine games, a uh, bit of Europe and, and and lots of internationals. As it stands, they've got twelve teams, and that means twenty four weekends of Premiership rugby, um, and th- and that's too many. But you know, maybe there, there's an argument after ring fencing, after the um, promotion and relegation issue goes away, of bringing sides up like the Cornish Pirates and maybe one or two others, and and increasing the Premiership to uh, to fourteen or seventeen, uh, sixteen teams, and having two. Two leagues or two pools, as they I say. Think that's a, I think that's that, that's well worth looking at, Lawrence, especially yeah. if you give these teams like the Cornish Pirates like a year to get themselves together. Don't just bring them up and say... You, oh. No, I, I agree, Jones. But I mean, the problem you've got in the, in, in the Championship, and, and listen, I live in Richmond, so I would tell you this, that the aspirations of, of one or two clubs... Um, Richmond or, and, and and one or two like that and, and nothing like the aspirations of some of yeah. those towards the top. So to say that we could have another 12 professional teams, I think is, it, it, I mean, you could eventually, but we're a long way away from that. Whereas I think what we could have is another four professional teams for sure. One being Saracens, one being Cornish Pirates, possibly Ealing uh, and possibly one other, yeah. maybe, a, maybe a Coventry or a Bedford. But uh, anyway, listen, we'll... We'll leave that chat for uh, for another day. Congratulations to the Cornish Pirates and all their stewards for uh, assembling <laughs> and getting that game on and looking after and hosting our man, Stephen Jones, so wonderfully. It was also an incredible weekend of Gallagher Premiership rugby. And, you know, for, for all those people who knock the Gallagher Premiership, you know, this was a weekend played, you know, with some internationals. Uh, some teams decided not to pick them, but... Uh, yeah, I just think, is it me or, or, or is suddenly there been a, a bit of an uplift? I don't know whether it's the, the it, we should congratulate the referees for the way that possibly they're refereeing it. Maybe that's having an impact. Um, we should um, certainly uh, say thank you to the weather gods because uh, there was some beautiful weather across the Premiership this weekend and maybe it coincided with some wonderful rugby. What there also was, was three games that were decided by only one point. Leicester, of course, beating London Irish 33-32. Sale 
They look like genuine title contenders now under Alex Sanderson. 31-16 against Newcastle. Bath, down at the wreck, played wonderful rugby for 20 minutes and then succumbed to the uh, to the Exeter machine, 16-38. Wasps, um, their, their run continues. They're on a bit of a... A uh, bit of a bad, bad run of form. Nineteen twenty, they lost to uh, bottom of the table Gloucester, which lifts them off. And then, of course, Worcester, Bristol, Bristol flying high at the top. They're twenty four points to to twenty three. And then the final Quinn score. I mean, it kept changing hands so many times. Thirty seven, nineteen. Barnsley, um, I'll start with you first. Did you did you catch the Leicester London Irish game on on the Friday night? Yeah, I did. Funnily enough, I watched that game and and. It reminded me of England Wales in a way, in that London Irish played some quite nice rugby and they went through a spate of really stupid penalties in key mm. parts of the game and they let us less back in the game. And I thought it was a I thought it was a really entertaining match. And it's one of those games, Leicester won it. But if you said to me long term, uh, who came out of that better, I would say London Irish. I, I thought the mm. speed of their rut. Game was really good. Phipps is a reminder. An Australian scrum half, he's not used to a big pack in front of him. Get the ball away quickly. If you can do that, then all this much-fated sort of uh, gain-line defence can be really tested. But you've got to get a quick ball. Irish got quick ball. They should have won the game. A bit like England, they gave too many penalties away. But a very good game of rugby, and I think extremely encouraging from uh, the perspective of, of a London Irish fan. The, the rebuild under Steve Borthwick, I mean, it, I mean, it is happening. They, they, they look like they've got a bit of steel back in their pack. Well, they have got a bit of steel back in their pack now. You know, they've certainly got a long way to go, but but there are signs of um, of, of recovery there for, for Leicester Tigers. I think so. Um, they're not folding when the pressure comes on. You can't expect Leicester just to overnight be the force they were. There are too many uh, new forces in the game and it's tough. But if you said to me, wins and performances, I'd say the performances are eclipsing the wins, even though they did win that game. And I'd say if I was a Leicester fan, I'd be six and a half out of 10. Jonesy, we're going to move up to sale now. Their their performance against Newcastle. And as I said, AJ McGinty putting in a a very, very good performance. Faf de Klerk, we come to expect world-class standards from him. Mm. Lou de Jager, obviously back from injury. Uh, he was he was fantastic as well. Can we can we actually uh, say that Sale are genuine title contenders, along with Exeter, who are obviously champions, and, and the likes of Bristol, because they've really regathered themselves under Alex Anderson. Absolutely. And you know what, you know what, it's been quite often in the last few years, Lawrence, it's been just two have stood up, stood up from the others, but now it, it is at least three standing out in a, in a premiership, incidentally, that I think has been tremendous ever since Christmas. Um, the Jaeger is absolutely, is an absolute beast, but to come back as good as that mm-hmm. after such a, such a, a time away is excellent. You think that probably Alex Sanderson was what they needed to take it up, up, up to the next stage, which was, which was excellent. They've got depth. They've got they've got leaders. McGinty, as you say, was not rated when he first came into the team, but he is playing out of his skin. So, uh, I mean, I think it's tremendous. And I, I was talking about the outpost of the game in Cornwall, and I'm not calling Manchester an outpost, but it's nice when you have uh, a geographical spread of teams. And uh, you know, it'd be great for rugby all over the north, or especially the northwest, if Sale come through to the final and win it, which I think they can. And as, for the first time, you know, looking looking at the weekend, you think it'd blind me. You know, this there could be another name on the trophy. 
you know what? When um, when, when AJ McGinty first came on the scene, Craig Doyle, who um, who presents the BT Sport coverage of rugby, he used to mention his name at every opportunity, and I couldn't really understand why. And then then it, then it occurred to me that AJ McGinty's father is the head is the headmaster of Black Rock College, and Craig has three potential children who want to go to Black Rock College. So then I realised why. <laughs> I realised why why he used to mention McGinty's name, but actually now he can mention it Most. as much as he likes because there is no doubt that McGinty deserves it. His offload for the Diaga try was was unbelievable uh, and certainly one of the plays of the week. Stuart, we, we got to head down to the wreck because you were there, I was there. Exeter, before the game, crisis, what crisis? You know, they, they'd lost two on the bounce and and we spoke to Rob Baxter and he's sort of, you know, he doesn't get too excited whether they win or lose, but he was kind of a bit irked by comments that or the or people suggesting the pressure was building. He said, look, we just lost a couple of games and there's not a lot wrong and let's see how we go today. And and Bath, on the flip side of that, had, had, a, had a sort of mini revival, really. They won three games on the bounce, including, you know, notable victories against the likes of, of, of Sale and... I mean, I guess for, tw- for 20 minutes, Bath played some sparkling rugby, probably more rugby than they've played in the entire season. Because quite simply, they realised that if you, if you don't play rugby against Exeter, there's only going to be one result. But, uh, but then it was business as usual. Exeter, I thought, just, just turned on the power. They looked, um, they looked fitter than, than their, their opponents, Bath. Uh, they looked stronger. They had impact from the bench. But uh, we must talk about the performance that I thought standed out. There was a galaxy of back row stars playing, the likes of Falatau, Underhill coming back for, for Bath from injury. But the one man who stood out head and shoulders above any other player, and in actual fact played all the other players off the park, was our man Sam Simmons, who's not only been doing that on Saturday, he'd been doing it every single week. Well, first of all, far be it for me to disagree with you, oh great number eight, but I felt that uh, Talupe Falatau was absolutely magnificent and was as good as anyone on the field. But that's by the by. Sam Simmons, Exeter were getting outplayed. It was 28 minutes on the clock. It was 13-5. Bath were all over them. He then takes a pass from his brother, an amazing piece of footwork to leave Rhys Priestland in the dirt. For the first time, Sale had got behind the Bath rush defence, then they could play their pick and patient game. Who was it then crosses from close range, four men on his back, Simmons. And I thought then, what would England have given when they were 9.6 points down against Wales to bring on someone who can just change a game like that? In the second half at the Rec Lawrence, again, the speed of his picks from the base are quite astonishing. Mm. Um and I keep thinking back, what what was England's option? George Martin. I mean, it is no offence to George, but it is one of the most stunning pieces of ridiculous selection that I have ever known from any England manager. The argument that we're it's it's not Billy or Sam Simmons. It, it could be easily Billy and and Sam Simmons. There are so many options across that back row. Sam is an, plays number eight, but he doesn't have to exclusively play number eight. To say that a player can't is not being picked for England because he's not big enough to to carry the ball in heavy traffic in international rugby is a nonsense. Because yeah. I, I totally disagree with that. If you've got good footwork, you don't have to be the biggest guy in the world. If you've got pace um, that he has got, um, you know his, his pick up and 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 go off the base of the scrum. And I accept that that Falatau was also 
very, very have put in a very strong performance, particularly in a, in a side that were well beaten in the end. But, you know, no one's got that pace off the base of the scrum that Sam Simmons showed for Exeter's last try. He doesn't just score tries, of which he's got 13 this season. He actually wins games for his side. And I, I said that, I said it on BT Sport. We, we sort of hinted at it at the beginning of the podcast. Eddie Jones and, and, and the peer and Premiership Rugby have created a bit of a, a problem for themselves in this Six Nations window because of COVID. They've they've got this match this match squad of twenty eight, and no one's allowed in or no one's allowed out. So even if you wanted to pick players, it becomes quite difficult to do so. But Stuart, do you, do you agree with me at the moment that the the barometer for picking a, an England squad has always been the form in the Gallagher Premiership? And it seems to me that Eddie might as well watch the games at home because you know there's no point watching them live because if you're not going to pick the players who are playing brilliantly, then 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 what's the point? I mean, I I do understand that the the England squad used to be named about a third of the way into the season, which created a little bit of anticipation and a little bit of nervousness amongst the players. Clive Woodbury used to get on the phone and say, "Look, guys, you've all got to play well in these first six or seven games. I'm going to name my squad." Now, of course because of the uh, the agreements between PRL and, and, and England, they named their squad before the season's even started. So could you argue that it's become a little bit cosy for England players? My point yesterday was that, is it more difficult to play your way out of England, the England squad than it is to play your way in? Definitely, Lawrence. I, I totally agree with you. And the, the cosy people inside can play however badly, badly and, and can get out. And the people outside can get in. The Simmons thing, I think, Stuart said this odd selection. It is pure naked arrogance by the coach. Uh, and as you say, Lawrence, he sits there game after game, always sits on his own because it's a more dramatic picture if you're on your own, like a round-the-world yachtsman on his own at the deck. And um, this thing about ignoring the form of the Premiership, it, it, it is pure arrogance. It is hurting England. The, the idea that uh, he didn't send players back to play for their Premiership teams on the weekend, you, there's always ways of getting around it so you can do that, was also arrogant. And uh, I, I just think it's slightly distasteful. I really do. The situation with George Martin on the bench, where you've got guys like Don Brandt and Sam Simmons. I mean, George Martin's been in the Premiership not even a strawberry season. And there he is, um, sat on the bench for England against Wales. What happens if uh, if, if Billy Vunapola gets injured in, in minute one uh, of that game and, and George Martin comes off, the, you know, I mean, what happens for both country, for player? I mean, as it turned out, he didn't actually didn't actually get used. But how can you have a system? You know, this, is, this was like a title, uh, a championship decider for England, which they ultimately lost. And you've got a player who's only played a few minutes of rugby, or, uh, a premiership rugby on the bench for England. I mean, it's... It, it just beggars belief, quite frankly. Eddie, it was worse than that. In a way, England picked a team to play Wales and they basically said, Wales, you can have 23, as according to the uh, rules of the game. We'll go in with 22 because we're never going to play George Martin. Talk about putting one time, one hand behind your back. It was absolutely mm. insane then. It is mm. insane now. And and I, just don't, I, don't, and I just think there was a clarity. There's not a clarity of thinking when you see things like that happening. You know, it's like it's like England going into bat with or going into play in a certain pit with you know with without a spinner or something. You know what I mean? It's like you just don't, you just don't make mistakes like that. No, but Lawrence, what what happens? And Eddie shouldn't listen to any of us idiots in the press, right? There's no, I'm not suggesting that for a second. But what Eddie Jones basically um, he's put himself in a situation now where because he is so loyal to his players. He can't bring anyone through. And he then has to justify not putting a Marcus Smith in the squad. And there's an argument for saying that maybe he's not ready. 
He has to justify not putting Sam Simmons in the squad and all these young players. So he then says, uh, they're not ready yet, but I have a plan. And as soon as a coach says, I have a plan and it will come to fruition in the World Cup, he basically nullifies every single critic in the land because he says, ah, you wait until 2023, then we'll see. And that's what we do. And, And in the meantime, we sit here, Eddie laughing at us as we say, Dylan Hartley shouldn't be in the team, let alone captain. Rob Shaw and Haskell, they're coming to the end of their tether. Why are they still there? Why don't England have an open side who can really cut it at the highest level? And Eddie laughs at us, and we get to the World Cup, and we get an injury at scrum half, and lo and behold, we have to fly Ben Spencer over because Eddie is the only coach in the world who wouldn't have three scrum halves in a World Cup squad, such a key position, but he's only got Willie Hines left. Eddie Jones knows his rugby. He's a very smart man. He's a clever rugby coach, but he is, I'm afraid, a little bit arrogant at the moment, to put it mildly. Stuart, I'm afraid. I think you're right in what you say about him in the past, but no, he's he's gone over the top somewhere. Uh, And, 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 you know, you say, oh, we all got to wait. I mean, look, it doesn't really matter to us as critics, but actually the fans would don't really want to wait. They'd rather win a Grand Slam now and again and see two performances. Something that's beyond Jones's team is to put up two good performances in, in a row. And, and, and I tell you what, he's on the verge of, of losing it. I, 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 Sam Simmons, I totally agree. With Marcus Smith, I think he's excellent. But I think Joe Simmons is, is the next in line because he is a leader and he's captained uh, his team to the European Cup. You, you can always say, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't go totally on the premiership. What you can't do is ignore the evidence of your own eyes week in, week out. I'm sorry. Well, the other person that Eddie Jones has been defending is Owen Farrell and, and his captaincy, saying that he will get better and, you know, he's learning as a captain. I mean, obviously, Owen's, I don't know how many caps he's got now, 60 or 70, but he's probably more than that. He's got quite a few, but the various headlines have hit the newspapers and, you know, some of them um, way off the mark. You know, Delalio says that Farrell should be stripped of the captaincy. I, I didn't say anything of the sort, um, although the Sun decided to print that. Uh, what I did say was that I just feel that the captaincy is of in, of international rugby, particularly, but the way that the game is refereed now is 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 much more comfortable with when when it's with the forward, uh, and I and I and I still believe that there are a number of international coaches around the world who would agree with that. Most teams, most teams, you know, and I and I suggest that you know David Kirk was a very good captain, as was Nick Far Jones, but nearly every other side that's won anything in international rugby has been captained by a forward. I don't think, you know, if you're a fly half and Barnsley, please tell me this, you, the first six steps you have to take towards the referee can be deemed as quite aggressive, uh, passive aggressive in your case, obviously. But, um, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's not an easy conversation to have. Whereas if you're a, if you're a forward, you can have those quiet conversations. And, but, you know, Eddie Jones, we, 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 totally disagrees with me. I, I just think Owen Farrell is a wonderful player. He can be the talisman of this team. He's not playing brilliantly at the moment. He can play better. We know that. But he could be the talisman of this team. And But I do think you lose something by giving him the captaincy. You're being kind, Lawrence. He played quite well against Wales, but he hasn't deserved his place in that team since the World Cup final. And I think the fact he's captain is playing a part. I had a, quite a long stint as a bath captain, as a fly half if you're going to be a good captain in the backs, you have to be tactical astute and you have to be able to talk to a referee. Eddie Jones's idea of an astute tactician is someone who does exactly as Eddie Jones tells them to do. It's not someone who thinks for themselves on the field. The only England back 
who is independently minded in the midfield is George Ford. And when England are in problems, watch out on that field. Ford's the one who runs the whole show, not Farrell. So Farrell is a captain. I know he gives this wonderful Friday team talk, which we keep hearing about. But on the Saturday of a match, when he gets the players in to tell them to stop giving penalties... Nobody listens to a bloody word of what he says then, do they? So the, the, the Farrell captaincy, like the whole Eddie Jones thing about they're too young, trust me, the plan will work for 2023. It doesn't stand up. And the other thing, I think if you're a fan, I think if you're a player, and I think if you're Owen Farrell, to say he's learning on the job as captain of an international team is scandalous. I don't know, Steve, you get the captaincy so that after 20 games, you might be a good one. It's it's crazy. Well, it's, I thought you were supposed to, when you pick for internationals in any capacity, you're supposed to prove yourself as internationals. I mean, Eddie says, oh, no, I don't want this next generation of kids in because they're not ready. But then after 60, 70 caps, he's telling us, oh, don't worry, in, in, in good time, Owen will be a good captain. Well, it just doesn't make any sense. No logic, is there? Enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with The Times and The Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck for more details. And we're very lucky when we talk all things Six Nations to um, welcome our special guest, Il Tud, who's AFP, a rugby correspondent based in Paris. Il Tud, um, Absolute pleasure to, to have you on the show again. Um, we've been, uh, we've been. I wouldn't say giving England a battering, but but we've definitely been working them over a little bit. One team we can't give a battering for their performances on the pitch, certainly. Anyway, is uh, is the French? They've been magnificent, and um, and it now looks to like their their Six Nations campaign and their quest for would it would it be the first title in twelve years? It certainly be a, you know potentially a Grand Slam. Looks to be back on track because of a, a bit of cunning uh, work from from Bernard Laporte. I mean, everyone thought that the fixture would be forfeited because um, Fabien Galtier had seemingly uh, broken COVID protocols. But Bernard comes in on the horse, decides that actually, hold on a minute, we need an inquiry. Um, we'll, we'll appoint someone that I know and we'll realise that we haven't broken any COVID protocols because there wasn't a bubble to break. I mean, this side of the water, no one's, you know, everyone's delighted that the game is going going ahead, but, but maybe a little bit of head scratching that... Um, the, the way this process has unraveled. How, how has it been received in, in, in France, would you say? Yeah, Bernard Laporte seems to have been the knight in shining arm of Fabien Galtier, definitely, because there was a bit of pressure, especially from the, the press, for Galtier to receive, not to be sacked, because that would mean that the, the, the wheels would definitely have come off the cart, but to maybe be given a fine or definitely a stern word of warning. And the, but then the other side of it, speaking to my teammates from rugby team, my friends here, and also reading those famous people on comment sections on social media, they're totally against any sort of sanction for Galtier. And they think that everything he did was fine. It was all above board. So two sides of the story, but at the end of the day, everything's calmed down now to a certain extent. The squad was announced on Sunday. Uh, there's only two players who, uh, who had contracted coronavirus uh, excluded. So Uni Antonio and um, Arthur Vincent will not be facing England uh, this weekend. But apart from that, everything seems to be um, okay now. Yeah, I mean, to give us an idea. I mean, they've got they've got some they've played some wonderful rugby throughout this this championship already. Um, they 
uh, they, they, I mean, this this episode with post Ireland uh, pre Scotland was was a, was a big potentially a big setback for, for France. Um, you know, could have completely derailed them. You know, they had first of all the the wonderful celebrations in Dublin, first time they've won there for for a while, and then it started to unravel. Gautier positive, one other two players, Dupont, their star player positive. They seem to have got through that. The players were having to self isolate. They're now back on track. Uh, Viram Vakatawa uh, and uh, Roman and Tamak have been added to the squad for the for the England game. Although uh, they've lost uh, Villiers, who's now out following uh, the news that he'll need surgery on his hand. I mean, where are they? Where are they mentally coming into this game against England? Because that you know they were clearly doing very well, but all of a sudden um, they've had to deal with with quite a lot off the field as well as on it. If you asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have said that, that, that they were on cloud cloud nine. Things are probably going to have to change now. Um, Lequeek. The French daily sports newspaper have said that the players are a bit frustrated with Galtier because he's been so strict to them since he was appointed as successor to Jacques Brunel after the 2019 World Cup. They're saying you have, to, you have to stick within my rules. You have to be part of this uh, framework, not just on the field, but off the field. You have to respect his guidelines, be that systems in, in play, but also off the field, how they adapt because they, they represent France. And at the moment, especially with COVID-19, they're very lucky to be able to do what they do because there are thousands of youngsters and also other rugby players in France who are unable to do what they, they love to do when 31 men are able to represent the, the, the blue shirt um, this weekend. So he's been very strict on that. So then they keep reporting that some of the players might get a little bit frustrated potentially because they've stuck to the rules so stringently. They haven't, apart from going out and eating some waffles in Rome. They haven't really done anything too badly when Fabian Galtier has properly broken the rules, his own rules, and also burst the bubble just to go and see his son play in another 23 games. So there might be some frustration regarding that, but at the same time, this French squad seems to be a bit mature despite its years. Uncle mm-hmm. Dupont, 24 years old, arguably the best scrum in the world. He's still a youngster when it comes to test rugby, So, but at the same time, he's played quite a few Champions Cup games for Toulouse, and he's got a very old head on the young shoulders. Barnsley, well, I mean, what's your take on, I mean, aside from Wafflegate and, uh, and Galtier, yeah. Galtier Gate, I mean, uh, I mean, do we just, do we just do, should we just be Gallic for the weekend and just shrug our shoulders and say, well, of course the championship's going on. Of course this fixture will go ahead because it's France and, and we like them and we're going to give them a bye this round. And it doesn't matter that they've broken COVID rules that didn't exist apparently because there was no bubble. Um, we just, we just crack on. I mean, I, I get the sense if this was any other team that that, that that game would have been forfeited because no one's got the front quite like Bernard Laporte just to just to front it out and and make sure that the uh, the, the the French campaign stayed on track. Bernie plays the politics very well. In fact, when Ilton was talking about the incident, it sounded a, a bit like the entire British nation when Dominic Cummings went to Barnard Castle and Boris Johnson defended him, and we all said, "Sod this, we're going to the beach." But hopefully France will actually said, sod this, we're going to Twickenham. And I went Gallic about a year and a half ago because in a sterile environment internationally, France have played smart rugby. It's not all sort of singing, dancing stuff, but when they understand there's a chance, they take it well. The speed of their game is great. And the only thing I'd argue with, it'll tell you, is DuPont is not arguably the best scrum half in the world. And you must leave this podcast if you even consider anyone else in his league at the moment. Yeah, I, I, France, I think France go into this game at Twickenham in a strong position, despite everything that's happened there. I think the fact they drew with a, a young team, the fact that England have lost two out of three, including a game at Twickenham, 
France will be able to say to them to the team, England are the ones under pressure, not us. Let's go and make it happen. I didn't think they were brilliant in Dublin, apart from about 15 minutes, but they got the result, which is very important as well. And I make them favourites at the moment because I just think, I think Steve England are under a huge amount of pressure. Well, the thing is, what, what we want is we want France to play, to come here and play so well that it forces Eddie to pick the plays he should have picked in the, fir- in the first place, really. It'd be, a, a very ups- it'd be very upsetting if France are still mentally upset by it because you want both teams to be at their best because then it becomes a fantastic um, uh, test for England. But just going back to Goltygate very, very briefly, the funny thing is the Barbarians went out for two pints, didn't in- cause any infection, uh, came back and were royally banned for ages and fined thousands of thousands of pounds for an offence that was about one tenth the significance of Goldjay. So what I would say is we want more Laportes in uh, rugby because they make decisions. Look at the Lions; they can't make a de- decision. So at least he <laughs> made a decision and he made the trains run on time. Mussolini did that as well. Yes, <laughs> he did. <laughs> So, I mean, listen, Stuart, the, uh, uh, and he'll turn, uh, come to you on the actual game itself. I mean, it, a couple of months ago, well, you know, England were, were, were lifting the Autumn Nations Cup, admittedly, you know, rather fortuitously against the, against the, a French sort of second slash third 15. But uh, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see who Eddie Jones picks for this game because uh, there's one or two players that I wouldn't say are in the last chance saloon, but they certainly, uh, they certainly need big, big performances in order to go on and, uh, and win the match. But Stuart, if I start with you, I mean, can you see, you can see France winning this game and, and, uh, and making it uh, three defeats for England? Well, I would say this. I thought England played their most creative stuff I've seen for a while against Wales. Mm. I think it's all it's all about what's in the English heads. If they can get themselves up for this, tell themselves it's Twicken, even though it's empty, they can make a game of them, game of it. If I look at this, and I don't think I'm English, England wear white. They tend to win three out of their four games. I look at French form and English form. Then you know, if anyone said where should I put my money ahead of Cheltenham, you'd say stick it all on France. And, and frankly. Take all emotion out of it. I will be back in France. I think Entermat will probably be on the bench, which gives them options. Jalibert is a superb 10. And the return of Virimi Vakatawa uh, more than compensates uh, for their loss on the left wing. I don't know what you think. Is, is, is he going to start? Because when Vakatawa starts, that French attacking line changes its dimension and threat. Definitely. It's a, it's a totally different proposition for any defence when Vakatawa plays a I remember asking Fabian Galte about it when Vakatawa had been ruled out for the first two or three games of the, of the tournament as it was then and asking how are you going to change your attack and he said well I can't really change my attack because I've got the structure in place anyway what I kind of have to deal with is I, I haven't got one of the world's best centres there who can change a game mm. a split second so Vakatawa will definitely come into the start and I think a lot of debate has been around if Intermac's going to come back in after having Break, uh, suffering a double jaw fracture uh, at the end of December. And Jalibert played for Bordeaux Bègles on the weekend at fullback. Antomac played for Toulouse at 10. They both played incredibly well, but Jalibert's in the Keeps team of the weekend and Antomac isn't. Maybe that's a sign. But that's the big headache for, for Galtier. But he, whenever he's seemed to have 50 50 calls, he's always seemed to have gone with the tried and tested. And that probably is Antomac. So, yeah, I think Antomac and 
the back of the table can shoot back in. Certainly, Gautier's got very different headaches this week than he had last week, and that's for sure. But uh, I'm uh, I'm one of these people that believes that you know we obviously get quite hysterical when England lose, and we start really you know pointing our guns at Barry in various different directions. Uh, England, like as you said, Barnsley played some 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 of their best rugby. Actually, their ruck speed when they actually had the ball was uh, was pretty good against yeah. Wales, and and I, I would even go as far as to say if they. They'd given away five, five or six less penalties. They would have beaten Wales quite comfortably. Uh, and I know that sounds like quite extreme, but they ended up losing quite comfortably. But actually, five take five or six of those penalties away, and and they and they thump Wales by by quite a few points. So I think we have to be we have to be measured a bit. You know, sometimes quite measured. There's a there's a lot that's wrong with England when you first look under the bonnet. But actually, there's not a lot wrong that you have to change in order for it to swing back the other way and what an opportunity they've got I mean that's what I'd be saying because I've lost plenty of games of rugby <laughs> what an opportunity this would be to uh, you know to to beat one of our, our greatest ever rivals and and shove it up Barnes Delalio Jones's nose and the rest <laughs> of the rugby world I mean what what more could you could you wish for we must talk about Wales because um as I'm looking at the Six Nations table they do appear to be the team standing imperiously at the top of the table um, they're living on their wits a little bit but they, they're getting away with it Barnsley Wales have been intelligent and the other thing is in the autumn they blooded young players some have come through like Sheedy some have moved there uh, Pivac used that period intelligently to, to garner his strengths and I thought against England it found fruition with the start of Dan Bigger who was brilliant for 45 minutes to lay the foundations and then Sheedy came on I thought that was a, a coach in full control of his forces. And we all gave Pivak a shellacking last year because Wales were losing. But I, I think now he said it's a long ball game and you can see his plan. And, you know, OK, teams go down to 14 players. Wales, Wales have taken their chances and they've scored a lot of tries. You look at some other teams in this tournament, they find it hard to score tries, not Wales. That's why they're top. Jonesy, we, uh, well, I mean, Scotland, Ireland is, is, it's always a little bit of spice around this fixture in recent years. I don't know whether one team gets excited and thinks they're going to win and then they get beat and then vice versa. But Ireland seemed to have had the uh, the large share of wins against these two. How, how do you see that one go? Well, it's about time Scotland, you know, look, there are, there have been excuses for Scotland this year, but uh, every season seems to end in a battery of excuses. If they are going to be any good in the near future, they have to put Ireland away. And they've, I'd say they've probably got the pack for it. They've, they're just slightly more creative than they used to be. I mean, the, the trouble is with Ireland and Scotland. Ireland always think they're going to beat Scotland, and Scotland probably in their hearts think the same. So someone's got to build up Scotland and puff their chests out and say, look, if you are going to be any good under Gregor Townsend, this is the sort of game you absolutely have to win. Well, listen, we are very excited about the next round of Six Nations matches, and one of the reasons why we're excited about it is because it's a Lions year and a Lions tour. And uh, Jonesy, I'm going to stay with you. You revealed in yesterday's Sunday Times that the government are prepared to back now a home Lions tour this summer. Australia's kind invitation to host the series has been rejected and a home tour now looks like the most likely outcome. But obviously there's still a few doubts, isn't there, with you know Dublin's ability to hold a test match in, in, in doubt because of the coronavirus restrictions. You know, Have you got any idea what the fixture list might look like, um, and there was talk about a game, maybe even against the likes of the Barbarians or, or, or Japan even. Well, f- first of all, there was. The Barbar- <coughs> Barbarians, Japan and the USA were going to be um, fixtures 
in the whole if they played it at home, which basically is the end of the Lions. The idea that the Lions, as a warm-up to play the test match against Springboks, should play the Barbarians, blokes who've been on the piss all week and wander out for, for a jog round, is absolutely pathetic. There's no way the Lions should play the Barbarians in a festival match because the Lions is not a festival. But I have to say I can update slightly, Ron, because it's now looking more gloomy again. The question is, with the government, and this is what people are urgently trying to find out, when they backed the Lions touring here, did they mean we back you and we were going to give you the huge amount you need to ensure the tour? And this morning, there are doubts. They would just said, look, we're going to back you because we want you to do it. But there are doubts as to whether that backing means, which we all assume, that they would give them the insurance. And the insurance is for the whole tour being cancelled. So it's massive. So the, to, me, to be honest, to me, this morning, the spectre of the tour not taking place anywhere is also no back on the cards. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you quite rightly would say that, that any Lions tour has to go ahead in South Africa. You know, financially, they're trying to find ways of getting this tour on. But uh, there's still a lot more questions than answers, I think. Uh, and I'm sure we'll see a decision possibly in the next couple of weeks. We'll, well, you can read Stephen Jones because I'm sure Jones will be very close to that decision whenever it does come out. Gents, I want to talk about our God or Goddesses of the week. Obviously, Iltud, you, you may you may not be familiar with this, so we'll, we'll let you go last while while our esteemed panel give you an, an insight and a flavour as to who they've chosen as their God or Goddess of the week. Stephen Jones. Well, it's clear, Alan Paver the coach of Cornish Pirates, should be crowned and taken round the Duchy of Cornwall on a coach and horses for the glorification of the whole Cornish population. Because with one training session, he beat one of the biggest names in world rugby, beat them well, beat them up. So Alan Paver, uh, the great man, is clearly the god of the week. Arnsey? There's always a whiff of sulphur when Bernie Lapie is around. So it's hard calling him a god. But Bernard Laporte, this tournament, the Six Nations cannot... Rugby needs a tournament of a high level that is completed with all the matches and not four points given away to Scotland or anyone. Whether it's right or wrong, the important thing about the Six Nations is that everyone plays the games and we get a proper Six Nations. We've had a the European Cup has had it's, it's into its third format. It, it's it's a hollow tournament. Whoever wins it, the Premiership is a a bit of a wreck this season. There's some great rugby being played, but you know there's games called off. There's no relegation. It, it's all very messy. We need something that is sustainable, strong, and makes you think. God, I love rugby. And Laporte's actions to make sure that France do not forfeit a game and that they do play against Scotland gives us that. So Bernie Lapie is my God of the Week. <laughs> you heard it here. Ilturd, can you can you build on that? Can you can you elevate Bernie to even greater deity status, or have you uh, have you picked someone from obscurity? A big obscure, actually. I was down in the Basque Country uh, two weeks ago. And I went to the home hometown of Charles Olivon, French captain, Saint-Pierre Sournivel. And my goddess of the week goes to the baker in his local town because she has the best 
basket cakes. You can add a taste. <laughs> That's much better. That's much better than that was. That is, that is wonderful. You can come again. Well, my God of the week, there has been some fantastic try assists in the uh, Gallagher Premiership. You might have seen the one that AJ McGinty put on for Jude Diaga. De, Priestland for McConaughey, lovely crossfield kick. Callum Sheedy, couple for, for, for Nye Lango. But um, for all you props out there, my God of the week is Jeff Tamara Allen because I've never seen a prop <laughs> throw a one-handed inside offload quite in the same way as uh, as he did for, uh, I think it was Rob Miller's try against Gloucester. So Jeff Tamara Allen is my God of the week. There we go. My thanks to Iltud and to Stuart Barnes and Stephen Jones. A reminder, Jonesy will be back with the wonderful Rachel Burford on Thursday before the Ruck returns on Monday following the penultimate weekend of this season's Six Nations. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes or your usual podcast provider. 